Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, the program that shines a spotlight on positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization in the city of brotherly love. Coming to you live from the G-Town Radio Studio on Maplewood Mall in Germantown. Here's your host, Alina DeLisser. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. My guest today is Palak Shaw, and she's the founder and managing partner of Open Spaces Capital and Open Spaces Realty Group here in Philadelphia. She's also the creative mind behind the blog called Two Kids and a Landlady, where she writes about her experiences investing in real estate. She's also a graduate of the Jumpstart Germantown program. And today she is one of the program's all-stars who now mentors other aspiring real estate developers who are in the program. A former mechanical engineer, she's brought that same eye for detail and precision to her current life as a real estate investor and developer. She buys and renovates rundown and neglected properties in and around Philadelphia and turns them into very attractive new rentals. In less than two years, Palak has gone from owning only three rental properties to more than 20 and a portfolio worth $3 million. Palak is an incredible entrepreneur who has a truly inspirational story to share. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great having you here. So you, you have a very interesting background. Um, let's kind of go back to the beginning, to childhood, and the influence <laughs> of your mom on your choice of career. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I grew up in India. Uh, my dad was a developer, actually, and he passed away when I was five. And my mom was a teacher. And when my dad passed away, he left some projects incomplete. And my mom kind of took on the role of being a landlady. I don't know whether if she even wanted to do that, but she kind of took it on. And so I grew up around a person trying to struggle through the decisions that you need to make when you're handed a project that you don't know what to do with. And she was successful. She had great relationships with her tenants. And I kind of grew up around that. Uh, She had a full-time job. She was a teacher and she did this on the side. So, But growing up, I mean, you're the expectation was that you would go on to graduate school and, and have a professional career. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So, My big thing was I saw her working so hard and the only way I could give her back something was by being successful. And for, you know, as a nine to fiver growing up in, you know, somebody who has a nine to five job, that's the gold standard. So my biggest thing was growing up was like, I have to study, I have to get a good nine to five job, I have to climb the corporate ladder. So that was like the big thing that I had in my head growing up. That's all I thought about. <laughs> and so, and you settled on in, uh, engineering. Right. So I, I am a mechanical engineer by trade. So that's what I did. Yeah. And that's one of the toughest fields in engineering. So, I mean, you went through for the brass ring with that. Especially for women. Right. So you got a master's degree in engineering. And then after that, you had a successful career working in the, in the field and working up that corporate ladder. Right. right. So, yeah, I worked uh, as an engineer for 17 years. 
And then what happened? And then, <laughs> and then um, my husband and I decided to have kids kind of late-ish in life. And then everything just changed. You don't changed. look a day over 30. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're being too kind. <laughs> well, latish in life is like in your 50s or something, not not in your 30s. Well, but <laughs> yeah, late 30s. Okay. So I, you decided to have kids. Yeah. So we decided to have kids and um, I was traveling a lot for my job and I went into my boss's office and I said, look, I need some flexibility. I have worked here for a long time and now I have kids and I need to be able to spend some time with them. And that request was not very well received at all. <laughs> so so I felt very resentful that society had kind of sold a lie to me. You know, like they say that you work, you build your career before you build a family and then everything's going to be okay. But it's not because the higher up you go, the less time you have for your family. So I, I had... I lived in a state of turmoil for a while. And then that leads me to figuring out my why. So the why... And then I quit. Yeah. And then you quit. So the why was was the... Why am I working so hard when I can't see my kids? Right. right? I can't you, raise a family. You build a career so you can have the life you want. And if the career takes you away from the life you want, what's the point? What's the point? Right. So um, when did it uh, occur to you that real estate might be the answer? So we had... My husband and I would save up money and buy... A property. So we did that a couple of times. We we have we had three rentals before I quit my job. So what I would do is I would pay like a lot in taxes every month. So it would force me to save. And at the end of the year, I would get the returns. And then I would, my husband and I would, you know, scrape up if he had stocks or something, we would sell it, we would gather up all that money and buy a property. And then once we had tasted the joy that real estate brings, um, with the cash flow, it was no rent. question. Yeah. Okay, great. So, but when you quit your job, you didn't know what awaited you. I mean, basically, you didn't have you didn't have a real estate business already lined up. Right? right. We we had a few rentals. The rentals we had purchased were by saving money, and then going from a double income to a single income household that was not going to be possible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that led me to jumpstart Germantown to figure out how I was going to take the limited amount of funds that I had and then grow a portfolio from that. So when did you do the uh, Jumpstart Germantown program? Uh, two years ago. Okay. What was what were you hoping to get out of it when you signed up for it? Was it just kind of, uh, was it going to be a Kickstarter for you? Or what were you hoping to get out of it? You know, I um, didn't really have a community at that point. Uh, having worked in one field before that for so many years, I really didn't have a real estate community. And I was trying to understand how other people were doing things, get advice, and mainly figure out how to take this limited amount of money and grow the portfolio from it. So you went through the Jumpstart program, and then what happened after after that? Um, and by this time, you had quit your job completely, right? Yeah, by okay. the time I was in the program, I had already quit my job. Okay. But you, I mean, I've heard you talk about this before. It was kind of like this moment of clarity that you had to make it work. Uh, I forget which Spanish explorer it was, but when he went to South America, he, he and they landed... Um, he burned the boats and basically told the crew, we're not going back to Europe. We got to make this work here in the new world. <laughs> and so it kind of like you kind of had the same attitude as well, too. Once you once you quit your nine to five job, you're like, I've got to find a way to make this real estate stuff work. Yeah. So that was the biggest reason I had quit my job. And there was really no other avenues that I left open at that point. Being a part of the Jumpstart program really helped me figure out how, how to move forward with it. <laughs> So your first investment after completing the Jumpstart program, do you remember what that was? After Jumpstart, my first rehab project, it was through 
a wholesaler and it was in Germantown. And when we went to tour the property with our contractor, we had to make the decision on the spot. There were a lot of people interested in this property and we, we made the offer right there. And not having done that before, we didn't even have our checkbook with us. So we had to close in 10 days. We had to give them a check for 5000 right there. And <laughs> so the contractor we had taken with us, he lived around the corner. And he called up his wife and he said, hey, these, these folks need a check for $5,000. Can you help? So she like drove up with, a, with her checkbook Are and gave serious? a check. Yeah. <laughs> What? so yeah so so that contractor and i like we now keep him busy blood brothers right? yeah we right? oh my goodness we, that's we incredible keep, we keep him busy all year round now and uh so we retain him full time we you know it, it, him and i that that particular moment we established a business relationship that was based on trust and we truly want each other to succeed and that was like a great beginning for that. <laughs> so that's incredible. So what, but what came before that? I mean, how were you able to build that connection with that contractor? Because in that moment, yeah. he, he was ready to commit to you and you were ready to commit on some <laughs> level, but I mean, that, yeah. that was a huge commitment on his part to Yeah. So him, um, so the first property we had bought was somebody was actually flipping that. Okay. So at the closing table, I struck up a conversation with a seller. And I said, hey, you know, I love the quality of work in this property. Can you recommend your contractor? And he said, sure. So he gave me <laughs> that is huge. the number. Yeah, he was getting out of the game. I guess oh, okay. the flip didn't go too well for him. And okay. he was getting out of He's like, here, have, oh, a, that's have at it. Because so, that's another thing, too. I mean, we, we, you know, I want to talk more about this. But I find that sometimes other investors, um, there's definitely kind of, you know, my precious yes you know, like, especially oh. with contractors and it's kind of yeah. like you ask a question like oh who did the work who what yeah <laughs> and people suddenly have memory loss yeah so right that's, that's really great that this other <laughs> that person shared. yeah, that he, yeah shared the information. that he shared that i met Connection. the contractor and then um we had worked for three years on smaller projects on the properties we owned already and then that that gut rehab was our first large project together so it snowballed from there. So and, once yeah. you did that project, did you hold on to that one and rent it yes. out? Or did you? Okay. It's At, in Germantown. It's here in Germantown. Yeah. Great. So then after that, um, when did you start to gain momentum? Because you went from just a handful of properties mm -hmm. to you're now at what, 23? Yeah. Tw in two years. Right. So that's an incredible pace. Yeah. So I was doing a single family at a time. And then after doing that, doing five or six of those uh, last year, I acquired a nine unit project and that really changed the pace. And then now we're trying to do more multi-units and that really helps grow the portfolio faster. So um, you're doing this full-time. Is your husband doing this full-time with you as no, well? No, he kept his full-time job. Okay, okay. So you had kind of the best of both worlds now. Yeah, we tried to, <laughs> right. tried to do it that way. Right. Yeah. So you have, um, you have two children? Yes, and tell us now how your life is different now that you're able to have control over your your life, over your, your calendar. Yeah, it's it's been the stress level for my husband and I has gone down considerably. Raising a being immigrants, you know, trying to raise a family uh, without any family support system. This has really helped with the schedule. And my kids are three and five. So there's always somebody who's sick, somebody has something going on. So it really helps to have the flexibility. So for example, my son has been sick for the past week. He's 
come with me on every single appointment. All of the vendors know him. My kids have hard hats to go in the construction <laughs> zone with me. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think especially it's good for my daughter to see a, a, an adult female in a role that's not very common for her to know that she can grow up and also be whoever she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Why do you think real estate investing and real estate development in particular doesn't have more female representation? Because typically we're well represented as real estate agents. But right. when it comes to the other side, the people that are, you know, the contractors, the builders, the developers, the investors, we have less yeah. representation. And that's that's a really good question. That's something that's very close to my heart is female representation in male dominated fields. And I'm used to it. Being a mechanical engineer, I was always the only woman in a room full of white men. And jumping to real estate, it comes I'm very comfortable with that situation, but not a lot of women are. And real estate still remains an old boys club. And it's it's hard for women to just take on something when there are no role models, not a lot of support system for anyone to start their journey to entrepreneurship. There is There isn't a lot of answers available readily. You may find some write-up online, but in in a real life life situation, if you don't have a role model or somebody to go to, it's very difficult. Now, when you and I were talking um, prior to the interview, uh, one of the things that you said was kind of the the different perspective that men have and women have as it pertains to doing deals. Right. And um, can you can you explain that again? Talk to me about that. Through Jumpstart Germantown and Jumpstart Kensington, right now have twelve mentees, and the thing I see common between all twelve of them, or most of them maybe not all of them, is as women, and I struggled with that too, as women, if we are not 100% sure about something or 120% sure about something, we won't be confident. Mm -hmm. We won't want to move forward. We hit pause. Yeah, we pause. And then with men, I noticed if they're like 60 to 80% sure, they'll like jump in. And I'm generalizing, obviously, but, but I also saw that as an engineer, like seeing how guy would pitch an idea for you know, for upgrading a machine versus I would, I would be like, I don't know about this. I'm 90% sure. And then when you hear somebody else's idea, you think, wait a minute, what I had in mind was going to work way better. And why was I not confident? So, so this is like a, a theme I've seen. In, being in real estate, yeah. right. So another benefit to being your own boss, and I love this um, tagline that you have on your, your blog, entrepreneurship has no glass ceiling. Yes. So that was one of the things that, you know, when you walked away from that six figure, you know, health insurance. Yes. <laughs> three weeks of vacation a year job, right? You, you went into this unknown, but now you're saying that, you know, the sky's the limit. Right. I love that tagline. Yeah. Thank you for, for, <laughs> for noticing that. I think, yeah, it, there is, you know, in a nine to five job, women still only make, what is it? 70 or now they upped it to 80 cents on the dollar when it, if you compare it to what men make, but in entrepreneurship, there are no rules. You can do whatever you want. And the only thing that's right now stopping me from being an even bigger success is myself. There's no glass ceiling. So folks, uh, today we're talking to Palak Shaw of Open Spaces Realty, and she's also a mentor in the Jumpstart Germantown and Jumpstart Kensington programs. So Palak, you know, what's been your hardest project to date is there a project that you've you've dealt with a real estate um, rehab that was really kind of a textbook example of 
Murphy's Law. Yeah. If everything could go wrong, it did go wrong. Yeah. So for some reason, I thought it would be a really, really good idea to jump directly from doing single family home rehabs to a nine unit project. And sure, why not? <laughs> I know. In, in hindsight, I feel like, what was I thinking? So there is a lot. <laughs> there's a huge difference between rehabbing a single family home versus rehabbing a multi-unit, let alone you know, going all the way to a nine unit project. So thankfully, because of the relationship I built with my contractor that I was telling you about, and because of building a good amount of contingency in uh, the construction budget, those were the two reasons that project is still successful. And I highly recommend any new person entering real estate is contingency in your construction budget is super important because if you think things can go wrong in a single family rehab, that's exponentially <laughs> multiplied by nine. Yeah, multiplied right. by nine for a nine unit. Exactly. So th- you had a situation where everything was humming along on a different project and then kind of like disaster struck where there was a theft. Can you talk about oh, yeah. that story? Yeah. So we had um, closed on a single family home and the next day we started the project and we found that the heater was gone. So the boiler, the boiler was gone. That's like five grand right there. And that was an interesting um, situation to be in. So when I showed up, my contractor is like, well, I don't want to stress you out, but I just walked in here and look what happened. And then the way I took it, he was kind of almost surprised. He's like, why are you taking this so well? (laughs) I'm like, number one, contingency. This is why we have contingency funds for the unknown. Um, no fingers were pointed during this entire project. Him and I sat down and we figured out how we could cut down on a couple of other things despite the contingency because we haven't even started the project at this point. So something else could go wrong. So we decided to cut down on a couple of things and, and we just kept moving. It ended up being a great project that we started considering putting central air because now there was no boiler. So we had the opportunity to consider that. So there we kind of just made lemonade <laughs> out of lemon, the lemons that were given to us. So how would you say your, your background in engineering has helped you as a real estate investor? Do you find that you're taking a lot of the skills that you needed as a mechanical engineer to solving these real estate challenges? Yeah, I think what the biggest thing that education gave me was, and it could be different for different people, but the analytical mindset. And that really helped analyze deals and strategize having you know, how the business was going to move forward. Also, for majority of my career, I did management. So it was project management, people management, and that can be applicable to any field. And real estate development is all about project management and people management. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that has definitely helped. So with the people that you're mentoring, and I know that you, you're, you're doing it more and more now these days, but what are some common mistakes that you're seeing people, that newbie, newbie investors make? The, the biggest thing I see that newbie, um, newbie investors do is they look at all the different ways of making money in real estate. As any entrepreneur, you know that there are multiple ways you can save money in your business or you can make money by adding different streams of income. Uh, and that's very true in real estate. And for somebody entering real estate as a newbie, it's very easy to get distracted by 
every shiny strategy that you see out there and start running after them. And that's a huge waste of time. And that's why, again, I'm, I'm really big on figuring out your why and what your goal is and just sticking to that. That's one thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the second thing I see people do all the time is going with the cheapest contractor out there. So despite my fantastic relationship with my contractor, he's not the cheapest out there. But I want him to make money and succeed and grow together, right? So that when people choose the cheapest option out there, in the end, it actually ends up being more expensive. You hear all these horror stories that a new investor went in, hired this person, and then they left their project halfway or left it undone. I don't know. Right, right. That's a really good point. I think that sometimes um, new investors, they view the contractor as a service provider and it's just a strict transaction. So then it's like, let's just get the lowest price. Mm -hmm. Whereas that they view it as beginning, beginning to develop a partnership. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, this person's going to be in the trenches with me. Right. And he needs to make money. Exactly. Or she needs to make money. Right. In order for him to be, you know, for them to be viable long term. Yeah. And you would want them to be successful. Right. right exactly. So, so that's a really good attitude. And I tell my contractor that my goal is to make it very difficult for him to like working for anybody else. Oh, that's and good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. yeah. And so so that whenever I have a project, he's going to drop everything and, and start my project. That's good. So, you know, on your blog, you've written kind of some counterintuitive stuff. And it's slightly provocative where you talk about hustling is overrated. Yes. What did you so, mean by that? <laughs> I because that 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 is yeah. the, that is the word of you know du jour and right. on the podcast entrepreneurial podcast you got to hustle the side hustle everything's got hustle in yes. the title <laughs> right so yeah that's I guess it's true when you're first starting a business because you wear all the hats you literally wear all the hats you're going and you know cleaning your property and then you're coming home and doing bookkeeping and everything that you can think of. But as you grow, it's really important to look back and decide what what are the tasks that are making you the most amount of money and focus on those. And I do a time versus money analysis and I say, okay, so for my time, if I was getting paid for my time doing this task, how much would I pay myself? And is it worth it? And I love the also love the 80-20 rule. 20% of the things we do make us 80% of our money. And my goal is to keep fo focusing on that 20% and grow my business instead of trying to save money doing that other 80% as well. With your mentees, are there any people that you've worked with so far? And I know that it's, it's just been a short period of time that mm -hmm. you've been working with so many people, but are there any success stories that you can, you can talk about? You don't have to t talk about anybody by name, but any, sure. any particular projects that you've, you've mentored somebody through? I love being the person who can be the sounding board for a new investor. That's I'm a mentor now for Jumpstart Germantown, Jumpstart Kensington, and it's been great. And I just love being there for, for a new investor when they just need a second look at something. So one story actually of one of my mentees, she reached out to me uh, from Puerto Rico. And <laughs> I was also about to board a flight to go somewhere else. And she said, this cannot wait. Just take five minutes. Talk to me. She and was in Puerto Rico. She was for, in Puerto Rico. For to, to living at, or to... To find a property oh, to invest oh. in. Oh, okay. So <laughs> so she said, can you take five minutes going over my numbers and tell me why I shouldn't be buying this property? Because apparently I need to put in an offer right now or it's gone. And 
I have a feeling I'm not doing the right thing, but I just need somebody to tell me that. And so we quickly went through the numbers and we did a quick calculation over the phone. And she was right. It wasn't a good investment for her, for her goals. It could be a good investment for somebody else. And that's why the property was a hot item. <laughs> but so we did a quick calculation and I said, yeah, look, these are the numbers. This is what it's showing you. And I know your goal. This is your goal. And this doesn't fit. This is not in line with what you, where you want to be and what you want to do. And I love being there for her and being that sounding board, taking five minutes and helping her make that decision that she already knew <laughs> was the right one. Right. This whole importance of bringing this analytical mindset mm -hmm. to the uh, to investing is, is huge because it completely takes the emotion out of the equation. Wouldn't you say? Sure. Um, also, I think we don't give emotions Im enough importance at some level and analytical skills are important and it's important to know your numbers but it's also important to trust your gut and I read somewhere that a gut feeling is not really just a feeling it's a culmination of analysis that our brain isn't ready to process and it seems like a gut feeling but it's probably based on a lot of information that you have in your brain in your subconscious or something <laughs> that's good so on the flip side what is some bad advice that you've heard people give to real estate investors? Because there are a lot of hucksters out there. There are a yeah. lot of people giving real estate advice online at some of these you know, online forums for investing for real estate. So what's some bad advice that people give to real estate investors that they should ignore? The worst one I have heard so far is use your credit card to buy a distressed property or buy the cheapest property, use your credit card, buy it, and then figure it out from there. That's the worst. <laughs> Yeah, that, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. So this whole idea of kind of just take on all this new debt at a high interest rate right. and then just figure it out as you go. Hope, hope that you can flip it before that first 30-day payment is due. Exactly. <laughs> but if you if you go to find somebody to finance your rehab amount or somebody to, if you're going to keep the property, somebody to finance it long term, they're going to look at your debt to income ratio and that's not a good thing to have such a large amount on credit card. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what is your, what is your criteria as you, as you look for additional properties to add to your portfolio? What are some, some general attributes that you look for to determine whether or not it's a good deal or a, a project that you should pursue? So we, we look for properties that are close to public transport. Either they should be close to public transport or if they're not, the parking situation shouldn't be rough so that if somebody's going to drive to work, they have a place to park. Also, uh, we've started looking into properties that have more than one unit. So we'll we'll buy a duplex or a triplex or, or the nine unit that I was talking about. Yeah. And then we only buy value at properties, the so properties that need work. And then if the numbers make sense, and if there are other properties that are rehabbed around there, you you know that the, the area is improving that's a great neighborhood to help remove blight from it's important to you that you re renovate at a quality level that you're not putting in cheap fixtures or stuff mm -hmm. that looks cheap you're putting in stuff when uh, a resident mm -hmm. comes in a tenant they want to view this place as their home mm -hmm. right you feel very strongly that that you want your renters to feel almost kind of pride of ownership absolutely and and putting in Putting in higher end finishes and rehabbing properties well has given me the best tenants. They take care of the properties. They pay rent on time because they take pride in living where they live. 
And sometimes tenant leave, tenants leave the properties in better condition than even when we provide them. They'll put in upgrades because they just love living there. That's great. And I, I view I view real estate be, being a, a landlord, landlady, I view that as a hospitality business because you're providing housing to someone. And it's more hospitality than than just trying to, you know, you know look at the numbers. Well, that's a really good attitude to have because particularly um, in, in some of these neighborhoods, you know, people, landlords and landladies have a bad reputation mm-hmm. because people think, oh, this person's just out for the money. And so mm-hmm. this whole idea that you you really want the person to view this as as a home, mm-hmm. that, right. that's really powerful. And that's especially true for Section 8 because, you know, there's an affordable housing crisis right now and two-thirds of the landlords don't even accept Section 8 vouchers. And the landlords who are a part of the solution, some of them, there there's a lot of predatory practices going on. So it's important to make that change in, especially in the affordable housing. And just market. for just for our audience, just for some people that might not be aware, Section 8 is basically subsidized housing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just explain a little bit um, how the program works? Yeah, so the uh, Section 8, uh, you have to be an approved uh, landlord, and then you get your property approved. And there are there are people who have Section 8 vouchers that, that will be eligible to apply for that property. And it's based on income level, right? And it's based on income level. So, you know, and that's another thing, too. I mean, uh, you go to some of these RIA, uh, Real Estate Investment Club meetings, and people are like, oh, don't do Section 8, don't do Section 8. But that's kind of that's kind of also a, a, a myth that Section 8 tenants, you know, aren't good tenants. No, yeah, sec- Section 8 tenants, especially uh, providing the quality housing that we, we are talking about, you know, we, we put granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, um, we rehab properties from top to bottom, even for Section 8 tenants. And it's there aren't a lot of those properties available for Section 8 tenants. So, for example, my latest rehab that we did, and th- that's currently rented out to a Section 8 tenant, she's a single mom. She wanted to move out of this one neighborhood that where her, her son kept getting in wrong a uh, wrong company. And when we moved her into the house that we rehab, she hugged me and she she said thank you because th- that's not av- there aren't there aren't a lot of options available. So it must have been such a relief for her to be to be in a, a safer clean, safe yeah. safer environment, a rehab tra- property, enough space for her family to to spread out. <laughs> So that's kind of um, that's kind of been an uh, um, unexpected benefit of being in in real estate, right? The social impact that yes, you can have. Yes, absolutely. Can and you talk a little bit more about that? How, in terms of how you you're focusing your investment in areas that not only you bringing um, good, clean, affordable housing, but you're also having this positive impact on the on the on the neighborhood. Yeah, we're we're really big on big on balancing uh, social impact and profitability. There, there is a way to do it, right? So by social impact, I mean, we, you know, the first piece when it comes to social impact is, is related to our partners. So we work with a diverse set of team from realtors to contractors, cleaner, photographer, and I give preference to diversity in all my partners, whether it's women, people of color, sexual orientation, nationality, um, and we pay all our partners well. And this is especially true to make sure that your contractor is paying his crew well, uh, because not only is it the 
socially right thing to do but you also build a team that's loyal to you and building businesses together builds a community and that's a win-win situation mm-hmm. so that's the first piece and then the second piece is related to our tenants so as i was saying there is a affordable housing shortage so one thing is we've started accepting section 8 vouchers and at the same time as i was saying we we treat it as a hospitality business so we you know we track uh, maintenance requests and make sure we fix things on time uh, we put in the higher end finishes and again that's a win-win because that gives people pride in the house that they're living in right and they know that you care um, you care about them right exactly so you know let's rewind here a little bit um, imagine if you were dropped off in a new city mm-hmm. um, somewhere far far away from Philadelphia let's say you were dropped off in Raleigh, North Carolina or something. Okay. Some place that you don't have any family, no connections. Um, How would you start from scratch if you wanted to get established in real estate? What would be be your 100-day game plan to get going if you were dropped in a new new city and had to start over? But you had the knowledge. You had the knowledge you have right now. Right. Okay. (laughs) That's a great question. That's a benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing I didn't forget everything. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would... Really start by uh, joining um, a community uh, of real estate investors. That's the first step to really get a feel for the the area, uh, to see what they're thinking, where, you know, what are what are the pockets that they're focusing on, to learn as much as I can about the new area, and then what the areas where I like to invest in. I don't know how. North Carolina is so, <laughs> but what I like to look for is um, if I look in a pocket of maybe say five block radius, I love the blocks, the, the fly, five block radius. I love, I love that area where there are distressed properties and rehab properties. And that's really useful for the Burr strategy that I use because that means that when I'm done rehabbing a property, it's going to appraise at the amount I want it to appraise. Because if no one has done a rehab in that area, no matter what I do to that property, it's going to be very difficult to get it appraised for the amount that I want for my strategy to work. So that's what I would look for is a pocket where there are distressed properties and rehab properties. So you're not looking to be the first mover. You want to see that somebody else has kind of already tested the market and established a baseline. A baseline for rehab rehab. property values. Yes. And then you mentioned the Burr strategy. For those who don't know, can explain what that acronym is? Yes. So I think Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets coined this. It's a very popular real estate blog called biggerpockets.com and yeah. yeah, and um and highly recommend any new investor to check it out, but it stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So there's four R's. Buy buy, buy rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Okay. And so that's the strategy that that you use and right. that you would use in a new market. Right. In terms of neighborhoods right now in Philadelphia, where do you see a lot of opportunity? I think this is an amazing time to be a part of Philadelphia real estate in general. I mean, people are talking about a market correction that's coming. But despite that long term, Philadelphia has such a huge influx of people moving in and, you know, different businesses that are uh, up and coming here. It's, It's a great place to be a part of. I just love Germantown and the surrounding areas. That's my favorite 
that's my favorite neighborhood to be in. Oh, great. I know you said other than yeah, Germantown. I, <laughs> I didn't want to assume. I didn't want to assume it was yeah, only Germantown. Yeah, I love that. Right. The, the, these neighborhoods have blight and development is necessary. So the property prices are lower. But th- at the same time, development is welcome here. And rents are decent because as much as we want a community to come up, you, it's still a business. So the, and th- there are so many projects that are in the pipeline around here that I see a lot happening here in a future lot of opportunity right yeah, right a lot of opportunity and but kensington is also on your is also on your plate as well K- and kensington it, and also uh west philly is another great great area to mm-hmm. be in so what's on the horizon with you with regards to your real estate business you know where do you see yourself in in three years because i mean you've accomplished so much in two i would i would love to keep growing my portfolio my goal is one million in revenue per year in the next five years. And that's a huge leap from even where I am today. But I'd really love to be a role model for for women who want to succeed to be able to see somebody else who can do it. And so that's that's like my big five year plan is to get to a million dollars in revenue. I think, and I think you'll probably get there in two. So I don't think it's going to take five years. For oh, you you're to get there. so kind. Yeah, Thank I don't you. think it's going to take five years. So folks, um, we've been talking today with Palak Shaw of Open Spaces Realty and Open Spaces Capital. Uh, she's also a mentor of the Jumpstart Germantown program. Um, Palak, what's the best way for people to connect with you for folks that want to follow up and, and reach out with you, reach out to you online? How can they find you? Fill out the contact form on twokidsandalandlady.com. So it's T-W-O spelled out, <laughs> kidsandalandlady.com. There's a contact form there. How did your husband feel about the fact that there wasn't any... <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't any room for him in the, in the ki- euro well he ca- oh. in, in the two kids and a landlady he yeah. came up with the name oh so. okay <laughs> <laughs> no it's a great it's a great url so two kids and a landlady.com is, is your blog and that's where people can uh, read more about you and connect with you well great well we're at an end of another show and it's been great talking to you today thank you so much for coming in yeah thank you for having me it's been wonderful Remember, you can find the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just type in the words Jumpstart Germantown on any of those platforms, and the show listing will pop up. And you can also find all of these past interviews on our website, jumpstartgermantown.com. I'll be back again next Friday um, with another interview. So until then, have a great weekend, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.